So as I mentioned this morning, today is a special uh, sermon or a special Sunday in our church as we are working through this vitality series of what it means to be a, a healthy and a missional church. And we've been talking these last few weeks on community, on this church community and, and what we look like as a church and how do we continue to, to encourage each other and to bless each other. Well, I've been thinking a lot about community this week. One, as I've been working through Colossians, this, we'll read it here in a moment, but, but also, too, just yesterday and today, many of you were there. We were actually at the McGilvery's um, at their house helping to put up the exterior walls of their home and, and, and put in the interior walls and some of the, the framing. And, um, and Last week, we were talking about compelling community, about being different as a group of people, as followers of Jesus that not only the things we talk about and the way that we believe, but also the way we live looks different than the world around us. And the pretty cool thing for me was that through over the last two days, there, was, there were over 20 different guys and women from our church too at, this, at the house, at the McGilvery's place, helping to build their home. Um, it was amazing. It was this testimony of what community looks like, of the ways that we care for each other. But also too, I'm interested as we continue talking about not only the way that we serve each other, but also how do we relate to each other. How do we treat, you, treat each other well and consistent with the gospel? And so I've been working through, this, through the scriptures and, and reading. And, you know, one thing that I am, is the first thing I want to say is that I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged by the way that God has given us to live. I mean, I've been reading through Colossians this week and, and Paul talking with his church, encouraging them to be compassionate, to be kind, to be humble and gentle to be long-suffering with each other, to forgive each other, and to, on top of all this, hold it all together with love. And first, I'm pretty encouraged by the way that how helpful that is, you know, just how direct it is, but also by the image it is. When you start thinking about those things, think about a group of people living that out, being compassionate with one another, forgiving each other, being humble, bearing with each other a long time, gentle, Imagine what that begins to look like. How encouraging that is. So at first, I'm pretty encouraged as I read. I'm thinking, yes, God, I want to be a part of a group like that. But then I start thinking about myself, which is kind of awkward in that. But anyways, I start thinking about my own failures, my own weakness, the times when I'm not compassionate, the times when I'm not kind. Or maybe I may be kind on the outside, but I'm not thinking kind. Or when I'm not gentle, when I don't want to bear a long time with each other, when I don't want to forgive. Can any of you guys relate to this? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? The stuff that we wrestle with. I mean, think about it. I mean, how many times do we wrestle with being compassionate with that guy we work with? Maybe some of you are thinking, Jason, you don't know. This guy really doesn't deserve compassion. And what about that, that lady down the street? That lady in our community that, man, I can think about five other things I want to be, but kind isn't one of them. How we wrestle with that. We don't even have to even talk about people. I mean, we can talk about people inside our own families. Things that we've done or said to each other that hurt. And how hard it is to forgive, even within our family. To forgive our kids for the things that they do, like run their trucks up and down the, the floor and scratch it all up. Or our parents. You know, some of you think about things that your parents have done to you and how hard it is to forgive. 
What about the church? You know, this place where everybody's supposed to be nice and perfect. And how often we get that wrong. You know, we hear the scriptures, we hear Paul talking to the church in Colossae, and we think, man, this is amazing. I want to be in a place like this. This is hopeful. And then we come to church and we find that, you know, it's not always like that. I mean, I'm grateful for this church. I think we really tried, but even still, we have our shortcomings. This church is filled with people, and with people comes brokenness. And sometimes we mistreat each other. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Is it just me, or does anybody else know what I'm talking about? See, people come to this place. They come to this place searching. People come from all sorts of different situations in their lives. They come here hoping that they'll find this place where this great community exists, this, this people filled with compassion for each other, kindness and gentleness, willingness to forgive, willingness to love, And it's not too long after they're here, they realize, you know, actually a lot of these people are just like me. We wrestle with these things too. The great thing is, the great thing is, is that I've been working through the scriptures and I see God speaking into this for us. I see the word of God or the Bible, the scriptures, help us with this. Not only only does, especially this passage that we'll be reading here in a moment from Colossians, not only does it talk about how to do this, but also it gives us this amazing image of what it could be like, how hopeful it could be. Well, let me, let's read it together. If you look in your, I guess it wasn't in your bulletin this morning, but if you have this white piece of paper, on one side it's got this, this small passage, it talks, it's from Colossians, this letter, or a portion of a letter that Paul wrote, this, uh, a pastor um, from about 2,000 years ago, wrote this letter to a church. And he wrote to them, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So, you know, the, one of the first things that I realized as I was reading through that is that even in this church, even in a church in the Bible, there were differences happening. You might even go so far as to say some conflict. I mean, why would Paul say this? Why would he write this to them if they already knew this, if they were already doing this perfectly? So there's already things happening here. And I began thinking about how many churches throughout the Bible, especially in the New Testament, were wrestling with differences or conflicts. I mean, think about the church in Antioch. They had people coming and saying, you need to become Jewish before you can become Christian. Or in Jerusalem, when they're, when they're debating who, how, what's, how Jewish does a person need to be before they can become a follower of Jesus? Or do they need to be Jewish at all? Or what about Romans or the church in Rome? We're talking about Christians and Jewish believers. What about uh, the Corinthians, the church in Corinth, 
where they had the wealthy and the poor and they were all trying to go to church together and, and it wasn't going there. What about Paul's letter to Timothy, one of his students? He's telling, talking to Timothy to be strong. That this spirit, we don't have a spirit of fear, but of power, strength, and of self-discipline. Timothy was being, uh, um, finding some difficulties in the church where he was at, too. People were saying that, you know, Paul encourages them, don't let people discount you because you're young. So they see, like, even the churches in the Bible, <laughs> even the churches in the Bible had differences or conflicts that they had to work through. So that's encouraging to me, that it's not just the churches nowadays, but it's been part of church from the beginning. Because as I was talking about it, that churches are filled with people. And we come with our brokenness. Even though we realize um, how much uh, God has done in our lives, and we, we believe into that, we are a new creation, we still come with brokenness, with difficulties. I mean, I don't have to think too far on myself, but I think, man... That wasn't a great thing to do or to say. I mean, think about the ways that we as people wrestle with our selfishness, putting ourselves above everything else. Why can't they just do this for me? Are we worry or are we wrestle with our pride? Are we wrestle with greed? Maybe not so much that we want more and more, maybe sometimes that, but also sometimes that we don't really want to share. Or that we wrestle with envy. Man, why do they have that? Why do they deserve to have that? Why don't I? Or resentment. We start getting angry. We start taking that, that, that envy to heart. It turns into anger. We're still broken people. This still happens to us, even followers of Jesus. Is anybody with me on this? Anybody know what I'm talking about? So we need this word from, you, from, from Paul. We need it because we still wrestle with brokenness. We are at the same time sinners and saints. At the same time redeemed and still needing redemption. How often, those of you who have been Christian for a while, do you go and say, God, Lord, please forgive me. Maybe you've been following Jesus for years, even decades, and yet you still come, Lord God, please forgive me. I blew it yesterday or I blew it five minutes ago. Forgive me. That we continue to need grace. But as I was reading this letter that Paul wrote to this church, I realized that the differences or conflict or however you want to describe it is normal and natural. It happens in a church. The difference is how we handle it. Do we handle it like the world around us or do we handle it like people following Jesus? It's interesting. Actually, it was Morley who helped me with this. He's talked about illness in times, and he talks about when, when Christians go through illness, it's not that we don't have illness or we don't go through hard things as Christians. What makes us Christians is how we handle it. I've been thinking about that for us, about how do we handle differences as a church? How do we handle even conflict? That it doesn't turn out to shouting or doesn't turn into shouting matches, that it gets resolved in fruitful ways long before that. So I think that's what Paul is getting at in this passage. He's encouraging the Colossians to handle things differently than the world around them. See, when we, we are tempted to treat each other as the world treats each other. To polarize each other. The good guys and the bad guys. Those who are with me, those who are against me. We tend to 
look after our own interests above everything else. That's how the world around us typically works. So when the world around us says, you know what, they deserve what they get. That person deserves it. As Christians, we say, put on compassion. Be compassionate. When the world around us says, you know, that person is horrible. I'm not going to even try to be nice to them. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we say, put on kindness. When the world around us says, you know what, it's going to be my way or the highway, as Christians, we say, put on humility and listen to each other. When the world around us says, you know what, I'm going to hold a grudge. I'm going to hold a grudge for a long time. We say, put on forgiveness. Forgive each other. The world around us says, you know what? I've given, them tw- I've given them a couple chances now and they've blown it every time. I'm not even talking to them anymore. I don't even want to acknowledge them in my life. We say, bear with each other a long time. Put on long-suffering. We need to hear these words again. We, keep need- we need to hear Paul speak this. We need to hear the Spirit speak this to us to encourage us to not be tempted, to not fall into the traps of the world around us. Whether it's in our marriages, whether it's with our families, in our church, in our community, we need to keep hearing this word. But the great thing is, Paul says, put on love. Put on love like this new white robe. See, this whole passage is talking about putting on a new identity. That we've, been, we've died in Christ and we've been raised in Christ. So Paul says, put off all these other things, selfishness and greed and deceit, and put on something new. Put on love. Love that binds everything all together. That binds all these greater virtues together. When the world around us... Yeah, thanks for that. The differences are normal and natural. Rick, could you go to the next slide, please? That we put on love. When the world around us says, you know what? I'm tired of these people. I'm tired of that guy or I'm tired of that lady. We say put on love. Bear with each other. Encourage each other. Pray for each other, especially when it's difficult. See, there's a few places in the scriptures where Paul talks about love and there's places in the scripture where God talks about love. Jesus with his disciples, he says, A new commandment I give to you, love one another, that you might be known by your love. Not by all the great things you do, not by how perfect you are, not by how judgmental you are, but by how well you love each other. That you love each other. Paul talks about it in Corinthians. That famous passage, love is patient, love is kind. The one you hear mostly at weddings. <laughs> Paul actually wrote that to a church to people in a church. And he said the greatest of these, the greatest are these three, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest is love. That we continue loving each other. So how many people, are, how many of you are with me here? Kind of see where I'm going with this. Yeah. <laughs> how many of you are probably thinking to yourself, you know, Jason, I've heard this sermon before. I've heard pastors preach on this passage before. Or I've even preached on it myself. I could give, give you a handful of other passages where it talks about this same thing. But what I want to know is how do we do it? 
Jason, how do we do this? Well, I wish I had this big, elaborate um, plan for you on how to do it, but I don't. The only thing that has worked for me, the only thing that I see working in Scripture is a relationship with Jesus and serving each other. I know, it sounds like the Sunday school answer, doesn't it? It's like ridiculously simple. Spend time with Jesus. Spend time with him. Spend time in the word of God. Especially the Gospels, where, it talks, where we see Jesus talking and interacting with people. Spend time there. Seeing how, how God, how the Son of God works and interacts with people. How deeply he loves, how honestly he speaks. So I'm not just talking about reading the Bible for information, you know, kind of like you might read a newspaper article. I mean, reading it slowly. Maybe even praying these words as you read it. Lord Jesus, show me who you are here. Lord, reveal to me again who you are. Say that with me for real quick. Even under your breath if you want to. Jesus, show me who you are. Try that. Jesus, show me who you are. I mean, you can pray that whether you've been following Jesus for decades or if you're not even sure who he is yet. You can ask that. Jesus, show me who you are. So we do this by reading God's word, but also by praying. By praying, by asking simple questions, just like, Jesus, search my heart. Show me who you are. Show me who I am. Reveal in me the things that are ugly that I still need to work on. And then, Lord, help me to do it. Lord, I need your help. Jesus, I don't know how I'm going to change this on my own. Help me, please. And then asking for forgiveness. Lord God, I see what you show me. I've seen the selfishness that that I live with still, that I wrestle with. Lord God, please forgive me. And then realizing the amazing news is that you are forgiven. See, many of you have heard this for years now. Many of you might be hearing this for the first time this morning, is that you are forgiven. Praying those simple words, God forgives you. He's done all of this on the cross. Jesus, when he came and he lived and he died, crucified and then rose again, he reconciled us to God. He made things right between us and God. So we can ask for his forgiveness and we receive it. We're forgiven just like that. It's amazing. It's surprising. People, they struggle with it. How can this be? How can this be true? So we keep asking God. We keep praying with Him, speaking. But also then we love each other. We intentionally love each other. I'm talking about love. Maybe some of you are thinking like this warm, fuzzy feeling, kind of the butterflies. As I read through the scriptures, rarely is love a feeling. More, it's a, it's a verb. It's an activity. It's something that people did. They show love. An example like this might be, you know, think about the times when you've loved your spouse when they aren't easy to love. Or the time when you've loved your kids when they aren't easy to love. I mean, who knows what I'm talking about there when they just, like, just but I still love you, I think. <laughs> Some... Probably in 10 minutes I will again. But we still love. And what about even in the church? When someone says, you know what? I think, I think things should be different. And someone says, no, I think they're fine the way they are. And yet we still love. We still care for each other. And hold each other. 
Encourage each other. Forgive. Love is an active thing. Not just a feeling. See, there's precious little of this type of community in the world around us. This community where people care for each other. Where people show up at someone's house and they start framing it for them. Where people go and visit each other in hospital, taking time out of their busy schedule to do it. Gathering together in homes to hear how life is going for them and to encourage and pray for them. There is precious little of that in our world. That's why I'm encouraged about our relational covenant, about this idea, this thing we've been working on to make this more part of our community, to talk about it explicitly. Imagine what this begins to look like as people from our community, the people who live around us, they see how different things are here and they want to be a part of it. Not only is it compelling community, it's irresistible. I don't know what you guys have got going up there, but I want to be a part of it. I see how different it is in your life. I see the way that you care for each other and I want to be a part of it. Tell me some more about Jesus. I might actually listen this time because I see you living it out. Heck, think of how great it would be for us If we live this way, as a community, we continue, we grew in this way, caring for each other, encouraging each other, being gentle and forgiving. It's powerful stuff. It's powerful community. I told you this morning was going to be a little bit different. So we're going to be, like we do often in some of our meetings, what we'll do is we'll gather in groups of three or four people. 